But I'm glad you're here today. And the title for this message, you go ahead and flip to that because I'm going to go ahead and get into it because um, uh, I did not take philosophy in college. I had to take a philosophy class in seminary, so I was already behind the power curve taking a graduate level course on something I had not done undergraduate work. And I just want you to know, when I see that question, it's kind of like, and I know I have teachers here, many teachers across the congregation, you remember those days when they turned the overhead projector on and the teacher's going to throw something up there? When that happened, my mind shut off. I mean, it's like that light goes on, I go off. But Pilate asked the question to our Savior Jesus, and the text we'll read in just a bit, what is truth? Well, if he was still around today, I would tell him to pre-order Steve Brill's book entitled, The Death of Truth, due out next summer. The Death of Truth. Brill is a Yale journalism professor. He's often a consultant on ABC, NBC, CNN, on different news sources. And he, and I want to take his quote from the little advertisement for the book, in his new book, he documents how facts, shared truths, have lost their power to hold us together to hold us together as a community, as a country, globally, and how belief in alternative facts and conspiracy theories have destroyed trust in institutions, leaders, and legitimate experts. I haven't pre-ordered it. It was $40. I'm waiting for the Amazon used one to come out, about six bucks, you know. Tony Evans, who we are doing one of his Bible studies on Wednesday nights on the powerful names of the Holy Spirit, he says that we are living in the days of the death of truth. He says that it has led to the cultural immune system annihilation. In other words, our culture is being destroyed by the death of truth. Everything is up for grabs leading to a cataclysmic confusion on what is truth. Well, why? Why, Cliff? Why? Why? I'm glad you ask. Well, a poll last year of American citizens said that 40% believe that each person can determine their own version of the truth. So four out of 10 think that whatever they think or whatever they believe is the truth. And another 60%, well, not another, I guess you only have one, 60%, 60% of all Americans are saying that they don't believe in absolute truth. And I know some of these are philosophical statements, but I'll, I'll try to keep it simple because I'm very simple. Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? So like a quarterback trying to scramble as they're about to attack him, he fades back and tries to give some, let's say, answers to the question to help you prepare. And here are two scriptures that we, my voice is changing. I'll get taller before the end of the service. Thank you, Lord. I always want to be 6'2". <clears throat> no, <laughs> well, at least I could buy some new pants maybe or they wouldn't, well, I wouldn't need to. These drag the ground. I just keep, you know, anybody getting older, you feel like you're getting shorter. What is up with that? And, I, and, and as I think about philosophical truths, I'm sorry, you know, once I start chasing squirrels, watch out. I will try to get us out of here on time. I've been watching enough of these YouTube videos. Why is it that when old fat men like me want to race their kids on a, on a race, they always fall down? What, what is it? Is it the weight is so heavy that they get the formal momentum and they, they fall? 
I don't know. That was my <laughs> What is truth? Why does that happen? But here are two things that, if you've been following along with any kind of attention span in these previous sermons on the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. Look what he says. I think this is chapter 8. Yeah. To the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? So you know what it does. Now what is it? Let's go to this next one. I think that's John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So truth is Christ. Let's look at this passage. John 18, picking up where we left off last week at verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? All four gospels contain that question. Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Let me stop for a second. If you remember back, even to Nicodemus came at night. I, I called that sermon, Nick at Night. You remember that? And I said that Jesus has interviews with all these different people in those earlier chapters of the Gospel of John. He interviewed Nicodemus. He interviewed the woman at the well. He interviewed the man who said, heal my son. He interviewed the man who was by the water wanting the, the, the fountains to, to heal him. So here Jesus takes what should have been his trial, and it's recorded as his trial, and then he turns it on upside down and interviews Pilate. And I think he's doing it because there's still compassion in the heart of the Savior for all. Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were... My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. There's that question. What? is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to one prisoner at the time of Passover. In other words, kind of like that escape goat, if you will. I'm going to let one of you go. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? In fact, by him saying that, he's making the people who brought him there angry. They didn't accept him as the king of the Jews, so he's kind of poking them. You want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. If you have King James, it will say he is a thief or something to that, a robber, okay? The Greek word can be translated thief, robber, or terrorist, or revolutionary. NIV says, now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. He was more than just a simple horse thief, if you will. He had been a problem to the Romans and even to the Jews. We'll talk more about Barabbas towards the end of this message, if I ever get done. But right now, let's pray. Father, we come today with a lot of hurt on our minds. Some of us have lost 
loved ones. We're mindful of what happened in the state of Maine and all those who are grieving there and all those who are trying to understand and trying to find the truth behind it all. Lord, you're not behind that. I would say the author of lies is behind so much in our world today. Let the truth be in us. Let Christ Jesus reign in our hearts. Let us think of what he has called us to do, to love one another. And Lord, through this simple question that Pilate asks, may we find some sanity in this world in which we live, that there is an absolute truth, and you are that truth. Speak to us today, for I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned last week that we have an obsession in our culture. Well, maybe as Cliff has an obsession with TV. But law and order type, you know, trials, criminal things, we like to watch that. <laughs> and I thought about it long enough. I told Wade earlier, Wade has moved back two rows because he got picked on. He got picked on too much last week. So, Wade, I'll just give you this one and we'll be done picking on you today. I said, I think we all like to watch those trial things because we all know we're guilty of something. Maybe someday what you have done will be on trial on TV and you can say, I know the accused. Well, but when the witness steps into the stand, I'm just testing you here a little bit. He gets ready or she gets ready to take an oath to swear that you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So amazing or affirm, I think we can say. And do they place their hand on the Bible? No, they don't. They do it on TV. Well, there are some states that still do it, but the majority of states do not do that. They dropped that like in the 1800s. Well, that's not what I believe. Well, there you go again. You've just, you've just been a proof test for my, my case today. If you believe it, not necessarily are you understanding the truth. If you thought that they all did that. So hang on with me. I keep going with this. When I was in the military, and those of you who have ever gone to Lackland or gone to anywhere, you know, Paris Island, any of these places that they process you in, some point, probably at the uh, MEP station, you got to raise your hand and they swear you in. And at the end of that, so help me. Well, Pilate was in need of God's help. He really was. He could have been, you know, it's like that old movie, I could have been something, I could have been the greatest, I could have been. He could have been, but he goes down, as we said last week, is one who will always remember that Jesus suffered under. He knew that it was out of envy that the scribes, the priests, those in charge had brought Jesus to him. If you don't believe me, look at Matthew 27, verse 18, and it talks about that, that Pilate knew that. Some theologians think that Pilate's question, what is truth, was dismissive. You know, what is truth? Go ahead, get out of here. Some see him being genuinely interested. Here is a man who has no guilt, who has not done anything wrong, and maybe he truly wanted to have a connection with Jesus and said, what is truth? Well, let's proceed with the latter understanding so we can consider what he would learn, that truth, number one, is absolute. If you will recall, those who led Jesus to Pilate wouldn't even step inside of his home. But what's the first thing that happens to Jesus in verse 33? He is summoned by Pilate to come inside. 
Jesus goes inside the palace with Pilate. And right there, you can stop and annotate that. There is an absolute truth. Turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 7. I know this is going to be a little different sermon, but I'm just trying to build my case, if you will. Here I sound like an attorney, and I'm not. Mark 7, verses 15 through 23. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Jesus has been talking to them and talking about what goes inside and comes out. He says, are you so dull? In other words, are you so naive or... Uninformed, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on and said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man, and I'll say a woman's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Absolute truth. Jesus knew that walking into Pilate's house would not make him unclean before God. He knew what goes in your heart makes you unclean. Coming from inside the heart are the things that defile a man. Those who took Jesus to Pilate had murder, had wickedness in their hearts. John does not include the questioning, and I think I might have alluded to this last week. He does not allude to the questioning, the trial, and actually the beating of Jesus during the Sanhedrin uh, trial. See Mark 14 if you want to read up on that. And when Jesus was asked at that Sanhedrin trial, are you the Son of God? Are you the Blessed One? Are you the Chosen One? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Jesus says, I am. And those in Jewish power go berserk. It was blasphemy. They would pull their hair out, rip their robes, hit themselves that anyone could claim to be God, God incarnate. They beat him, they spit on him, and drug him off to Pilate. Even if they had the authority of capital punishment, and we alluded to this again last week, they could only stone him. They couldn't crucify. But to be hung on a tree, to be crucified, in their mind, that would place him under the curse of God. See Deuteronomy 21. But let's go to, did I put Galatians in there? There you go. Christ, and this is a repeat of that Deuteronomy section. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Once again, prophecy being fulfilled. Jesus became our sacrifice. He took the burden of our sins. He took the curse of God, the Father. And through that, death and resurrection redeemed us. There's an absolute truth, another absolute truth. Look, look at, well, that's basically the same one. I've already defended it for you. Look at John 3. I don't, did I put that in there? Guys, is John 3, 14 in there, or am I supposed to read that? You know, sometimes Cliff gets ahead of his text. If there's no passage in there, I'll just read it for you. John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is prophesying his own death. He's going to get lifted up, just like they lifted up a snake, and everybody looked at the snake, was able to survive. Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross. And then also John 12, verse 13. 
32, I believe. John 12, 32. But when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. This he said to show the kind of death he was going to die. Christ came to die. That is an absolute truth. Christ came to die so that we might have life. Absolute truth. Truth is the absolute standard by which reality is measured. One plus one equals Some of you are still guessing. <laughs> it is a fixed, absolute standard by which reality is measured. I told my boys, my, my only daughter in school, I was good at math. Due to, I come back to teachers, my third grade math teacher, Miss, Miss Brown. Boy, she was a battle axe. Oh, I shouldn't say that, Lord, I'm in church. She was rough. Did you have Miss Brown too, sis? Man, but if you had her, you knew addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And that was the foundation for all other math. You start doing square roots, you start doing equations, and if you have to take your shoes off and figure out what 9 plus 7 equals, then square it then to go, oh gosh, what's, uh, uh, you have a lot of problems. So it is an absolute truth, 1 plus 1 equals 2. And I've said it for years, I can run a mile in less than a minute I really can, if you let me define how long a mile is. <laughs> if the length of this aisle through this sanctuary is a mile, I can do it easily under a minute. Amazing, the aisle of a church, so many people can't walk it or run it in a minute. Truth sets outside of you. Let me say that again. Truth sits outside of you. You don't determine the truth. It is an objective standard that is absolute in its origin. Joseph Goebbels, I almost didn't want to share this. That is the propagandist for Hitler during the Nazi empire. And his, his writing is extensive on this, but let me just give you this one snapshot. He says, repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. Today, people lie to themselves. Because I feel a certain way, I abandon the absolute truth. There's an absolute truth. It's impossible for God to lie. You read in Hebrews 6.18 that his word is true and he will not lie. Romans 3.4 says, let God be true and everybody else a what? A liar. We all come from a lineage of liars. If that offends you, I'm sorry. But that's the absolute truth. And therein is a problem with our culture and our society. We don't want to think that we have any problems. We don't want to think that there is a standard, that there is an absolute truth. But Jesus, the Word of God, and go back to John 1 1. How many of you memorize that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And who is the word? Jesus. So 
His word contained in this book is our guide. Think about it this way. Each and every subject, the question is, what has God said on the matter? And bear with me, because when you explain what God has said to others on the matter, it will hurt some people. But that should never be our intention. But many of us, we've talked about this, the self-righteous judging people, and churches are full of them. You know, I've never done that sin. We don't know about the hundred other ones you've done, but that one there, that one's wrong. Our culture struggles with gender, sexual orientation, demons, abortion, poverty, race. And if you ask yourself on the front end of that issue, what does God have to say on the matter, you will save yourself a lot of headaches on the end of that matter. What does God say? His word is true. His son is the truth. He is the absolute truth. And second, we point out this morning that truth is divine. What is your standard of determining the truth? Well, some would say your instincts. I know what's true. It's like art. I know it when I see it. Your experiences, your feelings, your desires. Or is it the divine? Is it God? who determines your truth. I think I shared that while we were stationed in England, one of the units, that, you know, chaplains get to visit all different types of people, and sometimes they're in special sections. And long before I had a clearance to go to Feltwell, those of you who are ever in the UK, the Feltwell was a satellite base of RAF Lakenheath. And there they had the best playground. So my oldest son liked to go there. You know, they had a playground to go to. There was actually a chapel there on the second floor of a, a school. But it was deemed a chapel by the British. And that was one of the only places we could do weddings. Because you had, I'm sorry, I'm getting far deeper. But you could only do a wedding in a place that had been sanctified, if you will, by the Church of England. And that little upper chapel was approved. But one of the, the units that I visited there was the Precision Measuring Equipment Lab, PMEL. For example, if you're flying an airplane and you're not sure of the accuracy of your GPS, the female guys and gals are the ones who made sure it was accurate. They adjusted it. And one of the ways they did that, they had certain absolute standards. They had a, I think it was an atomic clock. Don't quiz me too much on what that is. All I know is that those things are good and only lose about a second every 100,000 years. My dad gave me a very expensive watch one time for a graduation, and it loses about a minute every other hour. <laughs> but you had to have a standard to go base everything else on. And if you use your own experiences, your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own emotions, your truth may not always be accurate. Truth does not stammer or stutter it speaks with the supreme authority of God himself. Truth makes demands upon us and never offers mere suggestions. It never presses just one more option to consider. It says, I am the truth. Truth roars with every sound like many waters drowning out every other voice in your head. But so many times we know the truth and we choose to follow the voices in our heads. Truth is commanding, 
It's arresting and it's directional. It has the authority to order us. Truth must therefore be heard. It demands our undivided attention. Truth is divine. Truth grabs us by the shirt collar and pulls us close and says, this is the truth from God. It mandates our complete compliance. Truth is binding upon our lives and truth demands a response. Jesus says, now look at that. I, those of you who stand behind me, well, why does the guy always fiddling with his Bible? Because other verses will come. In this text, we've already talked about Jesus in John. We've talked, Jesus says, here's my command, my new command. Love one another. That's divine truth, to love one another. And that's what he's called us to do. You know, I quote Frederick Beekner quite often. He has already passed. He passed about a year ago, a Presbyterian writer, minister, uh, Yale professor at one time. He wrote a book called Telling the Truth, and I'll just give you a section of it. Um, he he, he kind of thinks outside the box. He takes the encounter of Jesus and Pilate into a modern uh, setting. He says in his little book, Telling the Truth, Pilate was a three-pack-a-day smoker. <laughs> yeah, some of you, oh, yeah, watch it now. You're stepping on my feet again, Cliff. Three-pack-a-day smoker, and he'd chosen to quit smoking the day they brought Jesus to him. <laughs> he'd been driven to his palatial home or his seat of governance by a black limo. I mean, he paints these lovely pictures. And there Jesus is finally brought to him. And he gets a phone call before he gets to talk to Jesus, and it's from his wife. And his wife says, I've had a, a strange dream. Let me share with you this dream. And right when Jesus walks in, he lights up his first cigarette because he's not going to make it any further without going back to his old vices. And, with a, and this part I think is so good that we don't even think about it, and we miss it in John. With a split lip, and bloody eyes, Jesus stands before him because if you remember the account that I told you in Mark, he's been beaten up, he's been spit on, he's been kicked, he has been pushed around. And he takes one heavy drag of his cigarette and passes out. Pilate asks the question, what is truth? And we have to answer it today. What is truth? He's absolute, and he's divine. Look at verses 39 through 40. I'll back up and give you 38. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for charging him, but it is your custom for me. Well, actually, there really wasn't a custom that we, theologians, commentators, Bible scholars, can't find that custom anywhere, but it's included in various, uh, not every gospel talks about it, but it is included in the, the, uh, the gospels that this was a tradition. So, Obviously, Pilate is speaking to something they knew about. Perhaps it was some sort of Roman tradition. I don't know. Maybe he was just trying to make them happy. One of the reasons he was there in Jerusalem definitely was because the season of the Passover was a time when radical things would happen. You can imagine if the United States had lost World War II on the 4th of July, if we were under domination by another country, would be a day of celebration still, Right? And then at some point, whoever was oppressing you would be paying attention. Watch out, these guys get crazy on the 4th of July. And that's what Pilate was doing. Watch out, these Jews get crazy during the Passover. 
He said, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And like I said, he's sticking them right in the gut on it there. And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas is an Aramaic word for son of the father. The pseudo son of the father. And they choose the false son of the Father over the Son of God. How sad it is. Who will you choose this morning? Truth or lies? Jesus or Satan? Heaven or hell? Freedom or slavery? Pilate asked, what is truth? How will you answer? Stand with me, please. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, we each will answer that question in our own way, whether we race down this mile-long aisle or walk down it to say, I've never accepted the truth of Jesus and I want to do so today. Or perhaps someone says, I've been living like Pilate, seeing the truth right in front of me but not able to acknowledge who Jesus is. Father, There are some here who have things that they just need to come at these steps and, and kneel and pray. It's a humbling experience to kneel. It's humbling to step out in front of others. But Lord, some here need to do that and say, forgive me, Lord. Whatever decision is on the hearts of your people, when we walk from here, let us have chosen the absolute truth, the divine truth, your son Jesus. This we pray. In his name.